are starting a brand new series today called Centered, and we are gonna do something a little bit different during this series. This series is about worship. And when we think about worship, sometimes we might think about a worship service. I'm going to a worship service, and here you are. Some of us might think about worship music, particularly the music types, think of worship and music. Some people think worship is the, the, the thoughts we have about God in our heads. Uh, that is worship. Some people think it's a life well-lived, a life of love. That is a form of worship. So worship comes in all kinds of forms. But today we're going to talk about worshiping as, as awe of God. Worshiping as awe of God. Thinking thoughts about his majesty, his power, his glory. And then peppered through this time together, we're going to have some discussions, some music, and we're going to kind of practice what it means to, to worship in all kinds of different ways. So it's going to be a, a lot of fun. I promise there will be nothing weird. If you're new, it's going to be all good. You're safe and sound. We're just washing a few people's feet. Yes. That's, that's only... We're not going to no, wash we're just Joe. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> you just creeped out. Everybody. You just ruined Christmas as far as I'm concerned. Christmas is over. We Sorry. should go. We should all just go. That's right. So... Um, our mission statement as a church says we're a diverse community of friends, and so we worship in diverse ways. Some of us connect with God powerfully in ways that others don't. And so we're going to talk about how we uniquely worship God and specifically how we uniquely stand in awe of God. So how do you stand in awe of God in your own lives? Well, I know that for me, I had a, that, that first moment that it was like this awe moment, um, was understanding when I came to the fullness of the understanding of his love for me, that unconditional love, that grace that's just unmerited, you know? And uh, the reason that it was so shocking to me is because um, when I was much younger, I came to the realization that God knows your thoughts. And I didn't know that. <laughs> and I was like, I got it all handled out here, but up here, it's a mess. Total and like, mess. and now he knows, and I didn't know he knew. And like, I'm like, he's, has he always known? Like. It's not like he knows now, like he's always known. And so uh, for me, it was like I knew, uh, even at a young age, it was like, this is, I'm, I'm probably not right up here. And, um, you know, and then it, like, when I came to that realization that no matter what, how we act out here, or what's going on in here, or what's going on in here, every motivation, every you know, anger, every, everything that kind of pops up that you might not think of is like the best thing in the world, he loves you so deeply, and that love is not moved because of that. And that was my first time where it was, like, overwhelming. It was just like, I'm in awe of this love. This is different. So. Well, unlike that, um, <laughs> I actually... That's a nice point, Evan. <laughs> that is a nice point, Evan. Also, I would like to add... Yeah, that's a nice point, Evan. Also, I'd like to add... That is so sweet, Dion. Yes, please continue. That um, <laughs> uh, I find the awe of God in a subject that I am not... I don't really enjoy, um, which is science. Um, I never... When I grew up in class, it, it was one of the hardest classes to go to. I was like, oh my gosh, what do we have to do today? But the part where we talked about galaxies and the cosmos and the sky and how far... Um, stars are from uh, the earth and, and uh, where the moon was and the sun. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then as, as the more I traveled and the more I, I went to different states and, and different countries, I was like, I would look up and I would see the Little Dipper and the Big Dipper. And that might not be big for somebody else, but 
man, when you travel the world and you see the Little Dipper and the Big Dipper everywhere, like, that's crazy to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm looking at all. The, and then well, I started to learn about um, black holes and all that kind of stuff in high school. And I was like, my God, this is vast. And, and that brought me into the awe of God. Yeah, I'm very similar to Dion, Megan. I'm very similar to Dion. <laughs> in fact, when I, was, when I was a little bit younger, uh, a guy named Louis Giglio showed me this, not me personally, but showed a picture. And it's stuck with me ever since I brought it this morning because I love it so much. It's called the pale blue dot. If you've never seen it, we're going to throw it up there. There's, there's a little dot on the screen. And there's another picture that comes up that will kind of help you see it a little bit better. And that's the picture of the earth from, I think it's like 3.8 billion miles away. The Voyager was on its way out of our solar system. And it was one of the last pictures that it took. And you look back on that and you go, it makes me think of God. It just makes me go, that is God. Like we're this little tiny dot in this vastness of space and he has created us and he has created everything. To me, that was my moment of like, ah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and for me, it's, um, you know, that, those type of things never really were things that I thought about. I'm just, like, a very relational person, and so it was just kind of like, well, what does that have to do with me and God and, you know, all these things? And so I think, like, for worship, like, I connected to God most through song, through worship, through music. And really what it is is just the beautiful writings, like, almost, like, poetic sometimes, just explaining just the vastness, the power, the majesty, the amazing you know, gift of God and just making that relational. And so like the, the right words that are oftentimes are taken from scripture. They're like these abstract little beautiful sentences that I didn't even know were in scripture. And then now we're singing them. I'm like, oh God, that's so good. Where'd that come from? Oh, it's from Psalm, whatever, you know? And just like that really centered me on help, helping me to focus in on to then appreciate those things. Does that make sense? So it brought a very big God down to um, just a relational. So singing those songs, listening to those songs helps me to kind of stay centered in awe of him when they're like just well-written with the right melody and the right beat and the right, you know, all those things. Like Hello Grace. Yeah. Like that one. Okay, no. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, fine. <laughs> Your favorite song? To add to. No. <laughs> um, you know, it, interesting. Alex and I, we were talking earlier about awe. Awe is a weird thing for me, like to feel, like when do I really feel? feel awe. And I love the stars and everything you guys are talking about, but I don't know if that's, I had to think a lot about this over the last couple of days. And I want to tell you where it has hit me is the Bible talks about how we are like Jesus shares his glory with us and through us as people. We're image bearers. And so as I really thought about it, I'm in awe of people. I'm in awe when I see people love and care and forgive. You were talking, Evan, about that feeling like you're forgiven. And that's an interesting thing for me. Oftentimes I tell people this 2000 year old book says I'm forgiven, but I have a wife that for 28 years has forgiven me more than I can ever imagine. That puts me in awe of her, but then I can bridge that to, we are created in the image of God. And so it's really people that I'm in awe of. And I know we have some bad traits but I, and if we want to focus on the bad, we can, but there are beautiful things that people do all around the world every day. And that puts me in awe of the God that empowers us and created us to do those things. It's more, uh, it's less inanimate. It's more to me real. And I have a hard time, yeah, seeing the awe of something I can't see, but I can see <laughs> you all. And that makes a difference in my life. Yeah. So we're going to practice a little bit of worship, no matter what makes you stand in awe of God, if it's nature or people or music, uh, whatever it is, 
Um, we're going to practice a little bit of worship, and I want to encourage you. For those of you who, you know, may not be comfortable singing, that is okay. We're never going to force a pressure. But at the very least, kind of pray through these songs and, and force yourself in this moment to try to put some things to the side that might be swirling around in your head. And for this moment, for these few minutes, let's stand in awe of God, his greatness, his majesty, his power. So would you stand with us and let's sing this song together, How Great Is Our God? It's like a classic now. So most of you would, would know this. I think it's a Chris Tomlin song, right? That's, that's, that's he's OG. So this is uh, really get wrapped up in, in, in the greatness of God through this song.
Come on, sing that out. All the earth will shout yes. Our hearts will Because of nature, because of creation, because of each other, through Jesus, whatever it is, we stand in awe of God, and it really does uh, center us, right? And, and so what does it mean to be centered around the awe of God? What does it mean for us to be more peaceful, more grounded, more steady because we're worshiping God? What does that mean to you? I like to go back to that picture myself because, like, I was talking with Steve this morning about this, and we were both kind of joking, like, we don't walk around just being in awe of God. And maybe that's a problem, but I mean, the life is busy. I've got kids, I've got a job, I've got stresses, I've got things I gotta get done. So I'm not running around just being in awe of God all the time. So it's, it's reminders like that, it's times like these, it's images, metaphors that are kind of buried into my brain. That little tiny speck just reminds me for a moment just how small I am and how big God is and yet how much he loves me and how much he's given to me and how much he cares about me. Like when I stop for a moment and think about that, it, it recenters me. So I need these times, you know what I mean? These reminders. I personally am centered through worship. Um, every single time I, uh, every single time I actually am high or low, I worship God. So, I mean, it, it, if I'm low, I'm, I'm, I'm like, God, I need you. If I'm, if I'm high, I'm like, oh, God, thank you for everything. And there's a melody that I always has. God, God always gives me melody. So, it, it doesn't matter where I am. Uh, I can be in class. I can, I can be in school. I can, I can be walking. I can be skipping. I can be jumping. Or It don't matter. I'll worship any and everywhere. See, you want to see me? I, I'll, I'll skip, skip for you. you one day, one day. Skip to the loop. But as I'm doing that, there's a worship in my heart that I have forgotten. That's really what always centers me, the fact that God gives me a melody that I sing back to him. 
Yeah, for me, like I was mentioning earlier, just through music, I mean, there's a lot of ways that I, you know, you know, nature and just other time, you know, just peace and quiet that I feel connected to God. But, you know, one of the ways that I feel centered through worship is through song. And it really is just the beautiful, you know, just singing scripture over your situation and just being reminded, like, you know, when you sing that, it's your breath in my lungs and just under, having that, that weight, that vastness, that understanding of the vastness of God, but that personal relationship that he is with me, that he is the reason, he's the air that I am breathing and just that presence that is just so thick. And I just, like you, Alex, I don't think it's natural for us. There's so many other things grabbing our attention and our minds and all this stuff. And so worship through song, whether it's in the car, whether it's in the congregation, whether it's just myself, you know, in my bedroom has always just been like getting me re-centered. And it's like through other people's prayers or through the scriptures or through whatever it is, it just helps me to understand the weight that God is with me, that God is here with me. Um, and that also just allows me to surrender because just understanding the, just the hugeness of God, the power of God, like I can trust him because of how how majestic he is and he's the creator of the heavens and the earth but he's the air in my lungs and that just allows me to fully come into a position of surrender and for me that's where there, there is peace yeah I, I have um you know coming to that realization like I said when I came had this like overwhelming moment um I believe that I was centered on on something but it was I was more centered on fear and, you know, doing things right and making sure everything's buttoned up. And I think the moment that I first had that awe moment, you know, like this, you know, being in awe of God, I was, I was working in a hospital and I was in a break room and uh, I was reading this book that was about the grace of God. And when it clicked in my head, how much he truly loves me, how he loves us, you know, I, it, it was like so overwhelming and I started to like well up with tears. I re-centered on, on the love of God and it was like everything was like a weight lifted and it was just like I, I could breathe so much easier. Um, and, but I was in the break room and so I had to run to find somewhere to go because I knew it was about to, you know, we were about to cry. I'm talking about like, I, uh, you know, Armageddon. I watched the end of Armageddon, the movie, and I just weep. So and good. so it was an Armageddon cry Such coming. So I know. It, I'm, just, I'm just being totally honest. Armageddon gets me. She's like, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, he's doing this for you. Um, anyway, so I found this, uh, I found a staircase. I uh, opened the door and I was in this stairwell thing. And I call them staircase moments. And, uh, and that's, that's, when I know that I'm so overwhelmed, but it's, it's so centering. It's like all these worries and fears and doubts and all of this, they kind of melt away. They're still there. They're still real. And there's still something that I have to deal with. But now I'm centered on this love that is just unfailing and it, it's overwhelming to me. So my staircase moments is where I center. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, Evan, you're awesome. Um, <laughs> For me, like this centeredness, because it's on, I have a hard time with that awe of what I can't see and touch and feel kind of idea. It's, it's centered me on number one, like I have the power of being in people's lives. And, and as humans, we get to touch people's lives and you get to touch my life. And it's, it's really centered me on relationships and how beautiful those are and, and bridging those. You, we were talking earlier where you're saying when you wake up at night, if you're having that 
fear or whatever, you can just turn it over to God and hand it over to the Lord and let it go. I find myself reaching over and going, oh, my wife is there. And that centers me. And I bridge that to God or Sunday. This is my favorite day of the week because of you. It centers me. Like when I'm by myself, I don't like my mind. When I'm with everyone, I feel calm and I feel centered because I feel like this is... I don't sing in my car. <laughs> I, almost, I don't have play anything in my car. I just drive quiet. But when I'm here and I'm hearing you sing and we're singing together, I, I, I feel centered in that. That I could do because it's us as a community doing it. So it's, it's, it's a way for someone like me that has a hard time bridging that gap to the unseen that I see it. So thank you for being part of my life because you guys helped me center on the awe of God and how great he is because of this. Yeah. I, and I was just going to yeah. say, I think one, one of the crazy things is, and I know, I know you're like this, and I know you're probably like this, regardless of if the music is on or off, music is always happening. Like, I'm either hearing it or I'm expressing it. So I, I'm, when you said you just drive in silence, we can't drive in silence <laughs> because music is going on, regardless of if, the, if they're silent in the car, music is just playing and, and there's a constant song on a constant worship song or a constant thing, something that's reminding me of the presence of God. I just wanted to add that. I think that's, that's a beautiful way that God has made us. My husband likes to trick me all the time by just saying statements that are in songs and he'll just be like, watch her. And he'll just like say it and I'll just start singing it in the other room. He's like, because <laughs> it's always so there. This is just an illustration of how we're all wired differently, right? We all have a different, unique relationship with God, and so we, we honor Him differently, we're in awe of Him for different reasons, and we're centered through worship in different ways. And so we're going to experience another way of getting centered. We talked about the greatness of God, and we sang about the greatness of God. Now we're going to get a little quieter, and Megan's going to lead us in a song that's more of a prayer. And so we're going to ask you to stay seated. For those of you who are really kind of going through something, I might want to encourage you to just sit there and close your eyes almost like a meditation during this song, and just let the words of this song overwhelm you. Let the words of this song assure you that the power of God, the majesty of God, and the might of God is actually with you in a very deep and a very personal way, right there with you and in you. For those of you who know the song and want to sing, go for it. But let this be kind of a meditative moment of prayer. I feel the floor of heaven tremble As you breathe We live and have our being When you
Thank you, Megan. So let's talk about the glory of God. Let's talk about how we could stand in awe of God. Let's talk about how we could experience God's majesty, God's power, but also God's goodness. And the reality that this powerful, majestic, almighty God is actually with us and in us. Let's talk about how we could see God through creation. I wanna show you a picture here. This has been the state of mankind since the dawn of mankind. For at least 10,000 years, humankind has stared at the sky and has wondered, where did we come from? How did all this happen? What's the point of this? What's the meaning of this life? Why do things work the way they, they work? We've been staring at the skies. And every civilization in every era in every corner of the earth has come up with the exact same answer, and that is God this notion of God, this notion of a creator, this notion that we exist so we must have come from somewhere or from someone. There's an intelligence here. There's an intelligence in our brains. There's an intelligence in the world. Where did that come from? There's a design to things. There seems to be a purpose. Where did all this come from? And the answer throughout all of human history has been God, the creator, the first cause, the author of life, the one who gives everything purpose and meaning, the one who gives hope in this life and hope for the life to come. As long as human beings have been organizing in civilizations, human beings have been organizing religion, thoughts about God. Now, some civilizations have worshiped multiple gods, pantheon of gods, and, and stories have been invented about how these gods interact with each other and how they interact with us. Vast, complex stories of, of gods. Some civilizations has, have worshiped gods of nature, as though creation itself was alive, as though creation itself is the creator. Worshiping the sun, worshiping mountains, worshiping rivers. Some civilizations have believed that the creator is a non-personal force or a great vast cosmic oneness. Some civilizations believe that the creator is in fact a sentient personal being, perhaps even one true God. Other civilizations have worshiped local tribal gods, but everyone worships the creator. Everyone worships the creator. And you might be thinking, well, there are atheists out there. And I would say, you know, with all due respect, atheists in a broad sense worship the creator, nature. I know a lot of great atheists, great atheist friends of mine, and they really revere nature. They revere the power of nature. They revere the order of nature. It is in a sense, 
a worship of a creator. We all worship, and, and we all really have to worship. Excuse me. Getting over something, as the entire world is. You're either in it or getting out of it. I'm getting out of it, thankfully. Been a tough week. Um, we all worship something, and we all have to worship something, because if we don't worship something greater than us, then we're just left with us. And that's a lonely place to be. It's a very lonely, almost nihilistic place to be to think, this is it. There is no grand creator. There is no first cause. There is no almighty. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. We're just kind of a random collision of particles that appear as a cosmic accident, a blip, a glitch, and then we just disappear again. It's almost unsurvivable. And so we worship. And so we worship. And we worship because we can see evidence of God. We can't see God, but we can see evidence of God. And some of our folks here talked about the evidence of God in creation or the glory of God in creation. Uh, I love Psalm 19, verses one through four. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message is gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The skies, creation itself, speaks of the glory of God. Now, this verse was written when they had a, a view of the cosmos and a view of the earth that was kind of interesting. It was primitive, right? Um, the thought was from biblical authors that the earth was a circle that was flat, right? That was sort of normal cosmology at the time. And so that's how they wrote. And then above the earth, what they noticed is this big dome, right? Uh, they called it the firmament. And so this was the cosmology of the ancient times, a flat circle of the earth and then a firmament. So there was this dome, kind of a clear dome, and there were lights that poked through the dome and then water in the dome. So there was the waters below and the waters above, and every once in a while, those waters seeped down in, in rain. And so that's all they thought they knew about the cosmos, a flat earth and a dome with a bunch of lights and, and water. That's all they knew, and yet they stood in awe of God. How much more do we know now? I mean, wow, and that cosmology about 500 years ago was sort of broken down because the telescope was created and they started measuring stars and they thought to themselves, the way we used to see the earth ain't the way it is and the sun is not the way we thought and the scar, there's, a, there's something huge out there. And now with the Hubble telescope and now with Miracle of Miracles, James Webb telescope, the stuff that is coming our way about the cosmos is unbelievable. Let's go over a little bit of this, right? Roughly 13.8 billion years ago was the great inflation of the cosmos, right? You call it Big Bang, call it what you want, but it's more the great inflation of the cosmos, right? 13.8 billion years ago. And it was an explosion that wasn't like your normal explosion where it goes boom real fast and then slows down. This is an explosion that is getting faster. This universe is still accelerating, faster today than yesterday and faster yesterday than a million years before. It is expanding at a rate that is faster and faster over time, and scientists are not quite understanding how and why that all happens. Such an incredible universe, incredible, unfathomable universe. And then let's talk about the speed of light and how far things are away from each other in the cosmos. As Dion said, when you start to think and read a little bit about the nature of the cosmos and the stars and galaxies, it's quite amazing. I brought a flashlight. It comes from the Treadway house, so it probably doesn't work. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It was for a while. Oh, come on. Just, oh, yeah. In the zombie apocalypse, the Treadway house is doomed. We are not prepared. 
Light emanating from this flashlight is traveling 186,000 miles per second. Did you get that speed of sound? 186,000 miles per second? Photons coming out of this thing. Now, let's assume these rays of light are going around the entire Earth, the entire circumference of the Earth. At that speed, seven and a half times a second. It revolves around the Earth seven and a half times a second. That's how fast light travels seven and a half times around the entire uh, circumference of the Earth. It is remarkable, utterly remarkable. And so when you uh, go outside today and stare at the sun for a good long time, just know that it took eight, almost eight and a half seconds for light to travel from the sun to your eyeballs. Almost eight and a half seconds. It's 93 million miles away. And so when you stare at the sun, uh, you're staring at the sun where it was eight and a half minutes ago, right? That's kind of how it works. Let's talk about the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. By the way, I'm going to need water. If somebody could, I'm, I'm probably not going to survive the next half hour. And I do apologize. The nearest star is Alpha Centauri. It takes four and a half years to get the light from the closest star to the planet Earth. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex McLean. My only thought was don't choke on that water. Alpha Centauri, it takes four and a half years for light to leave the closest star to us. Four and a half years before it hits our eyes. So when we look at Alpha Centauri, that's where it was four and a half years ago. How about the North Star, Polaris? It's a very famous star. Uh, my family and I have a little jacuzzi in the backyard and we just love staring at the stars and you get a star app and to try to find where all these cool, you know, heavenly bodies are. And to find that North Star is pretty cool. Polaris. How long does it take light from the North Star to get to the planet Earth? Just take a guess. You're right, 323 years. 323 years. So when we look at the North Star, the North Star, that's where it was 323 years ago. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. How about our Milky Way? To get from one end of our galaxy to the other, it's a big galaxy, not the biggest, but it's a pretty big galaxy. For, the, for light rays, one light ray traveling 186,000 miles per second, it takes 100,000 years for light to travel from one end of our galaxy to the other. 100,000 years traveling the speed of light for one galaxy. How about the Andromeda galaxy? Actual picture of the Andromeda galaxy. It is the closest galaxy to the Milky Way. Just right down the corner. The closest galaxy to the Milky Way. How long does it take for a photon of light to go from the Andromeda galaxy to the planet Earth, the closest galaxy in the universe? Two and a half million years. That picture is the Andromeda galaxy two and a half million years ago. It has since changed and morphed and done all kinds of wonderful things, but we won't know that for two and a half million years what it looks like now. It's incredible, it's astounding, right? How many galaxies are there in the universe? How many galaxies are there in the universe? We thought just about a decade ago, there was 170 million-ish, a billion-ish galaxies. We now assume through the data from the James Webb Telescope that there could be two trillion galaxies in the cosmos, likely many more that we can't see. Two trillion galaxies. And how many stars is that? It's that many stars. <laughs> That number is actually a billion trillion stars, give or take. How many planets? 
There are more planets than we could possibly know. We couldn't see them before. Now we can see them because of these new technologies. There are roughly this many planets. We, I don't even know how to say that number. And that's probably a very low estimate. It's remarkable. This galaxy, these cosmos are remarkable. And so, you know, the biblical writers thought the universe was that. They're like, whoa, that is so cool. Now, just jaw-dropping awe, the, the, the universe is now estimated to be 94 billion light years wide and expanding faster and faster. It is remarkable. That's the big stuff. How about the glory of God and the small stuff? Let's talk about the atom. Let's talk about the, the atom and all of the subatomic particles. How many atoms are there in the universe? Roughly this many. I added the four just for fun. <laughs> Roughly that many atoms in the entire universe, right? But beyond the atom, there are subatomic particles that we're just now getting a handle on through the Hadron Collider and things like that, right? I say we like I'm a part of the deal. I was like, <laughs> yeah, we, us, did this. Um, subatomic particles were just getting a handle on because they were theorized a long time ago, like 100 plus years ago, theorized that there must be subatomic particles. Now we're blowing atoms apart and measuring these things. There are at least 12 subatomic particles, probably 36 or more. Or more. This stuff is so small that it doesn't even adhere to normal physics or the standard model of physics. There's a whole different physics because these things are so small. This is quantum mechanics, right? Quantum mechanics. It's the, it's the physics of the subatomic realm, and it is totally different than anything we understand and utterly mind-blowing. I'll give you a little example, and forgive how fuzzy this is going to sound here. Let's just take two electrons. Electrons spin. These are little subatomic particles. Electrons spin. They spin up and down at the same time. And you're thinking, well, they either are spinning up or they're spinning down, right? They spin up or down at the same time. This is the subatomic world. This is quantum mechanics. You don't know, or it's not determined where they spin until you observe it, until your eyes get on it or a machine gets on it. Then it locks as either up or down. It's incredible. So stuff really isn't stuff until it's measured. I mean, this is weird. Some of these electrons are paired. These subatomic particles are paired. So there could be a, a duo, like a, like a married couple, right? And they're both spinning both up and down, right? It's just they're in, a, they're in their quantum state. And they're spinning either up or down or both at the same time, which is impossible, but that's what they're doing. And they're paired. They're married. And no matter how far apart you take these two electrons, because they're married, you measure this guy and it's up, this one locks in, is down. A different measurement, this might measure down and this will go up. It's mind-blowing. You could take these two electrons that are paired, one to this end of the cosmos and one to this end of the cosmos. You measure this one, this one will lock instantaneously. They're at the other ends of the galaxies and they lock instantaneously. One just locks in because the other one was measured. It, does that make any sense to you? Doesn't make any sense to me, but that's the way it is. And science cannot figure any of this stuff out. It is really something else. It is so cool. Here's the other thing that's cool. We don't know anything about anything. <laughs> I mean, the more science measures this stuff and the more science is in awe of the bigness and the smallness of this cosmos, they're just scratching their head going, we can see these things happening. We can measure these things happening, but we don't have a clue, a clue. Here's something to really trip you out. <laughs> we used to think there was one planet. Now we know there are trillions and trillions and trillions. We used to think there was one great light in the sky called the sun. 
Now we know there are billions and trillions of these suns, stars. We used to assume there was only one galaxy. Now that we know there, now we know there are at least two trillion galaxies. We used to think there was one universe. What in the world would cause us to possibly believe there's one universe? There could be infinite numbers of universes, and why not? If God is an infinite God, there can be infinite numbers of universes. You wanna get your head spun? Well, there you go. <laughs> this is kind of what it is to be in awe of God. It's like, well, this is unbelievable. And what tends to happen is we start feeling very, very small. Isn't that what Alex said before? We start feeling very, very small. We see the bigness of God in creation and we start feeling very, very small. Isaiah 40 puts it this way. And this is God kind of bragging. <laughs> if anybody's gonna brag, I suppose God could. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. That is standing in awe of God. There's the glory of God in creation. There's the glory of God in us. Isn't that what Steve said a little while ago? There's the glory of God in us. So for those of you who not may, you may not be into physics and the big stuff and science, and that's totally fine, totally get that. Look around. People are a big deal. We're a reflection of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians eleven seven says this. This passage just kind of blows me away. Man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. You are made in God's image. You reflect God's glory. And I know for most of us, maybe you, you had an upbringing kind of like Evan, where you were told, you know, God is perfect and you are not. And we're told time and time again, you're not perfect, you're a sinner. The most famous song in Christendom, God saved a wretch like me, right? We're told all the time that we fail, we fail, we fail. We might be around people who tell us all the time, you fail, you fail, you fail. You might compare yourself to other people and you might think to yourself, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. Let this passage tell you, you are a reflection of the glory of God. You are a really big deal. There's a little bit of the handiwork of God in you. And so instead of listening to the guilt and the shame and you're not good enough, let God's voice tell you, you are his glory. You are his glory. And yes, a reflection is always imperfect and you're imperfect and I'm imperfect, but we reflect God himself. You are brilliant. Every day of your life, you are problem solving and planning and contributing to society. You are creative. Every day you are appreciating, whether it's music in the car, or music in your head, appreciating art, making things, fixing things. You're creative because God is creative. You are loving. Now you may not be the most loving person on there sometimes, but you are loving. There's love in you. You love your family. You love your kids. You love your neighbors. You love your friends. You're a loving person. Where does that come from? It's the glory of God in you. You are eternal. You think outside of yourself, right? You think of others, you think of God, you think of eternity, you think of life after death, you think of eternity past and eternity future. You're an eternal being with the capacity to think eternal thoughts. You are the image of God, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We see the glory of God in nature, the glory of God in each other, and finally the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full glory of God. That's why we put Jesus the center. That's why we honor Jesus. That's why we look at him and have our, our, the center of our lives on him. He's the full glory of God. Listen to John 1. In the beginning, 
This is the beginning of the beginning. The word already existed. The word means expression. The expression of God already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So the word is the full expression of God, even the one through whom God created. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. This word of God, this expression of God is a big deal. Get this, the word became human. The word became Jesus. The full expression of God took on human flesh in Jesus and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father in his one and only Son. We see Jesus and we see the glory of God. And Jesus was not shining the brilliance of God all the time. In fact, there's only one time in scripture he shined the brilliance of the glory of God at the transfiguration. Just to get a little glimpse. But 99.9% of the time, Jesus was just walking among us and noticing us. The full glory of God among us, noticing us, caring for us, looking at us in the eye, asking us questions about our lives, really caring about the details of our lives. And not just the rich and the famous and the elite and the religious, but the ones who are the outcast, the poor, the discarded, the lonely, the marginalized, the minority, the one who were looked down on, the one who were labeled sinners. Jesus looked at every single one of them and served them and loved them and gave himself for them and gave himself for us. Jesus was the glory of God because as John 1 says, he was full of unfailing love. We can see the glory of God in creation and be in awe. We can see the glory of God in each other, being made in the image of God and be very impressed. But we see Jesus and the unfailing love of Jesus. That's when the awe of God becomes very real and very personal. He cares. And so when we start feeling small because we're worshiping this big God, realize that Jesus notices us and has a relationship with us. We're gonna sing a final song. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. And um, this song is like an all time for me because this song just stares into the glory of God in creation, stares in the glory of God in terms of one another and living things, stares into the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna ask that we spend these last few minutes together of this week just in a spirit of prayer and a spirit of meditation and a spirit of focus, being centered. So whatever is in your mind right now that's not centered on God, the majesty of God and the love of God, try to clear that out. Some of you are already thinking about where you're going for lunch. I get it. I know where I'm going and I'm not telling you because there'll be a line. Whatever is in your head, whatever cares or concerns are in your head, whatever stresses and anxiety, just try to pray those through. And at this very moment for these next few minutes, we're gonna focus on worship. The awe of God and the love of God through creation, through each other, and through Jesus' his son. So I'm gonna ask that you stand for this one and stand in, in a spirit of meditation. I'm gonna pray as we lead in. God, would you allow us for this moment to be centered to be focused on who you are, on your love, on your grace, also on your majesty and your power. God, through creation, we see your glory. Through each other, we see your glory. Through Jesus, we see the glory of your love. Would you allow us to experience your love in this moment, to be centered on you, in Jesus' name, amen.